Welcome to the ICN podcast and a series we're calling Everyday Mystics. Some may think that a mystic is someone who lives in a cave, in the clouds, or in a cloister. But in truth, being a mystic is not something that takes us out of living in the world, but more deeply into and through the regular circumstances of everyday life. These are stories of those who are living their embodied mysticism integrated into life as usual, but far from ordinary. And today I'm here with Francis Tien. Francis, good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Luke, and uh, honored to be here with you and joining in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And so we we like to just dive on in and start and begin with our question: Do you consider yourself a mystic? Um, I suppose I consider myself more as a contemplative who's practicing contemplative way. Uh, on the mystical path. Um, and I suppose I, I define it like that because, you know, people have uh, thoughts of mystics as people who have visions and voices and out-of-body experiences. And I, I don't have that. Mm. Um, and my path is, is very much a contemplative via negativa path, but abiding in the very deep silence and peace with which I try to engage with everyday life. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful, Francis. And I, I appreciate that because, yeah, we want our definition of mystical to be fairly broad <laughs> and not just limited to right those who see visions. And I, I, I love um, your contemplative approach. And I think it might be helpful maybe to, you know, you, you tapped into it a little bit there, but um, how do you see kind of the contemplative and the mystic as different? You mentioned the via negativa or other, other elements that kind of lean you toward that side of the, the contemplative end of the mystical path? Um, all right. So I'm not sort of academically or theologically oh, um, sure, sure. educated to, to, give, yeah. to give that sort of perspective. But for me, <laughs> um, the early life influences in my sort of teenage years when I started sort of reading and getting interested in this uh, were Thomas Merton um, and his book, particularly Seeds of Contemplation, um, and his sort of life story and the way that he, he wrote and spoke about his life. Um, and mostly, you know, it was about prayer and silence and um, just being engaged in the ordinary things. And there's a particular passage that spoke to me um, from his book, uh, confessions of a guilty conjectures of a guilty bystander where he says that you know the gate of heaven is everywhere mm-hmm. um, and I suppose part of the contemplative way is to to recognize and to awaken to the gate of heaven that is everywhere and present right in front of you and the extraordinariness of the ordinary um, and to be sensitized to that So I think that's how I see it. That's what the contemplative practice sensitizes me to, is the extraordinariness of the ordinary things in life uh, without seeking an extraordinary extraordinary spiritual experience, which tends to be, you know, 
you know, it tends to be a, a yearning and seeking uh, that, you know, the ordinariness of life can't be it. We must be seeking an extraordinary spiritual experience in order to get there. Mm. But it's not about getting there. It's about being who you are right here, right now in the present moment. Beautiful. Very well said. And and these this kind of drawing to Merton and some other uh, contemplative classical authors started pretty early in life for you. Is that right? Yeah, well, I started reading these books and the more I read, the more interested I got in it. So Thomas Merton was certainly an early one, um, but uh, the other big influence uh, in my late teens, early 20s was Anthony D. DeMello. Um, and his books, uh, and particularly the sort of meditation exercises that he would uh, introduce, which I tried, and his way of spiritual teaching, which is through stories, and the power of the story to carry a a deeper spiritual message is what really spoke to me. And and when I look back, when I re- when I read all these things and thought, "Wow, aren't they great?" I probably understood like very little of it, uh, <laughs> and, but somehow something rang th- rang true um, that I thought, "Yeah, this is good. This is good." And I, I was basically had this spiritual gluttony of reading all these books, hmm. thinking the more books I, I I read about it, the better I get at it, and you know, I will get there. Um, but I, I think that was a trap for young players when I look back on it. Um, mm. And um, there are things that when I go back to read them now again, I thought, wow, it was there all the time. How come I didn't see it? Um, and uh, that has been a, a, a repeated experience for me. Yeah, for sure. I, I know I can relate to that um, myself with sort of the, yeah, the many books and the the the, the many um, ways to, the, the more I read, the more I'll get it. But you're, as you said, you, yeah, it's, it's somewhat in the eyes to see, which is related to that um, contemplative seeing in the ordinariness of everyday life. And that's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what you're describing. So, so did you have any um, experiences while you were reading or early in life that kind of um, helped open your eyes or was it practice or um, was, was reading kind of what it, what it started as for you? Uh, there was a lot of reading. Like, like I say, yeah. I would sort of seek out, you know, books on contemplative prayer and, and read them and, and then mm-hmm. think, Oh, wow, this is really good. And, you know, I got to find the next book on it now that I finished this one. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I would try sort of the sort of, you know, practice exercises in meditation and contemplation. Mm-hmm. And Anthony DeMello's book, uh, Sadhana, uh, A Way to God, yeah. is one of those practical books that he gives you uh, practical exercises in, in meditation from different sources and different ways of doing it. And it's called, um, uh, the subtitle is uh, Western Prayer, with in the Eastern form is, is how he calls it. So, uh, and I recall as a teenager sort of doing these exercises and I think, yeah, that's good, you know, doing for 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes. And one time I think it was one of his exercises where he says, just imagine you're a sponge in the sea and you're the sponge and God is the sea. And that is an introduction to an exercise 
I was, you know, without trying, without knowing it, I was just suddenly enveloped and lost in the sense of being surrounded and held in love. And it was nothing I could do but just to remain in that stillness and silence and sense of being loved. And then when I finally opened my eyes, it was an hour later, and I thought, wow, I've cracked it. I have done it. <laughs> and I went to uni that day feeling very happy, joyful, and people said, oh, what's happened to you? I said, I'm just happy. And said, yep, next morning, I said, I know how to do it now. So I sat there. Okay, God, hit me with it. <laughs> It didn't happen. And it made me realize that it was not something I could make happen. Yeah. Uh, and it was not something that I could achieve or get there. But somehow it was the gift that held me. Uh, and that, that was my early experience. And, mm. and I spent many years trying to work out how to get there again. <laughs> um, Sometimes with a bit of success, sometimes not, and etc. But anyway, that, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you ever consider going on a monastic path, or um, and you know pursuing the contemplative life with that degree of <laughs> ardence or pursuit? Um, well, uh, as you know, I, I was already in medical school at university, so oh, okay. I was on the path yeah. to be a, a doctor. Sure, um, but I, I was very. Um, very drawn to you know spiritual christian activities at uni and groups and 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 exploring things with them but um <clears throat> and and i had a whole range of experience with various evangelical christian charismatic pentecostalist groups etc but i was always drawn more to the sort of quiet contemplative type of prayer which was not very common and and i did sort of try to seek out various sort of monastic type um, uh, orders in the Catholic Church, the Carmelites and the Trappists. And, and um, Thomas Merton himself was a Trappist, uh, and there's a, a Trappist monastery that is in our city, well, in our state, uh, which is the, the monastery for Australia that uh, I did sort of seek out and think, oh, you know, I got to be on Thomas Merton's path and, and, and went there and stayed for a week, uh, uh, thinking, yeah, you know, I'm getting it now. And, uh, you know, what Thomas Merton did and wrote and read his writings and tried to get into that sort of uh, spirit of things. But um, it was never, I, I, I think, as, as my professional and sort of personal and married life gone, it wasn't an option for me to just go and be a monk, even though sure. there's probably a, a, a sort of side of me that, uh, that, was sort of wanting and yearning that sort of spirituality and that lifestyle. Mm, yeah, I can relate to that too. Uh, <laughs> shared some. You've of been that on a similar story. path, somewhat. Yeah. yeah, somewhat similar. Yeah, and we both also shared, a, I think, a discovery of Tze, uh in those early later years as well. That was kind of a somewhat of a form of of a monastic ish expression, but a little different. What What was that experience for you of coming into Tze? So I, I was living in London at the time, and I heard about Teze, and, um, and but not a lot. Uh, uh, but I knew that there was 
this community that was formed by Brother Roger, who is a Protestant minister from Switzerland, but it just attracted me from that sort of just knowing what I didn't know about it. Um, and the first experience of a Taizé meeting uh, that I had was in December of 1989. Uh, and it was in a town called Wrocław in Poland. And that is a very critical year because it was the year that the Berlin Wall came down in September. Mm. And then they had this meeting in December in Poland. And it was by far the largest meeting they had ever had with 40,000 young people from Eastern and Western Europe gathered together in, in this meeting. And the atmosphere was just electric because there was all these freedoms that people had discovered, end of communism, East and West, the walls being broken down. And it was just an amazing atmosphere. And, you know, the sense is not just the physical barriers being broken, between East and West, but all the um, structures of, you know, different uh, denominations coming together with just the spirit moving through all of us. And that was an amazing experience in itself. And, uh, you know, I, I got to be a bit of a Teze junkie uh, <laughs> with that. Yeah, yeah. And going to Teze meetings and went to Teze. And again, it was like seeking a, a, an experience, an outcome that, you know, when I'm not there, I'm always saying, oh, I got to get there and uh, and and trying to seek out Thursday prayer groups. And when I came back to Australia, you know, I did sort of was involved with organizing and, and putting on a Thursday prayer meeting, you know, regularly, which again was was uh, was a good experience uh, and was very, um, you know, for my spiritual path, uh, uh, something that I thought was very consistent with where I was at. Um, but again, that, that sort of faded after a while, that, uh, you know, that sort of yearning. And I, I still have a lot of fondness of for Teze, and I still, you know, take part in Teze choirs sometimes and contributing my, my tenor voice, the four-part harmony of the chants. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was a, a part a big part of my life in my early 30s. Yeah. And so you went on to be a doctor and you still, you're still a doctor, right? You're still practicing now. Yeah. So I, I'm a specialist in, in respiratory medicine and allergies. So I work at a public hospital where <clears throat> I'm in a respiratory department looking after patients with lung problems and allergy problems, basically. Well, and now during COVID, that's probably a, a lot of, you're working in that area too, is that right? Yeah, well, uh, the COVID uh, has sort of been a very big challenge, and uh, what I'm having to face and do in my sort of day-to-day -day work is reorganize our whole departments uh, to meet the COVID challenge, and it is mm -hmm. uh, a very sort of stressful period because we know that we are going to be stretched to our limits and more. And everyone's uh, very aware that there's going to be a lot of potential for burnout. Uh, and there are going to be a lot of very distressing situations we're going to see with patients being in, in extremists and very young people having uh, respiratory failure on the ventilators. And it's a very challenging situation. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, yeah, Australia is in a, in a place sort of um, a little different than the U.S. We're, of course, seeing a lot of those same things. But 
but maybe further along, right. Than some of what's coming there for you. And so I, yeah, I, I think kind of, yeah, the, the question and, and as we're right focus in this series on how we integrate our mystical or, or contemplative lives into, um, into what we do, how do you, how do you find your, um, that contemplative gates of heaven everywhere in the midst of, of that work and in the midst of, um, the hospital and the wards and, um, how, how is that, how is that integrating for you? How do you bring it forth? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I've, as I've sort of traveled along my spiritual path, <clears throat> um, I think there have been a few insights that have helped me integrate all the things that I've been doing along the way and, and just given me aha moments as to my search and that yearning. Mm. Um, I think, uh, you know, along the way, I certainly, you know, was seeking more and more, you know, experiences and getting more knowledge and, and Richard Raw's uh, living school at the Center for Action and Contemplation was one of my aspirations to get to, and I believe you're you're a graduate of that, yeah. are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I was really hoping to to get there, um, but that <clears throat> it's probably not going to happen uh, now because. Uh, but w- what I did was able to to find was a uh, a graduate from the living school who lives in Melbourne, a lady called Jill, um, that I've been able to connect with and uh, and uh, she sort of is a spiritual friend and guide I talk to from time to time <clears throat> but in terms of you know my practice day to day the um, what I've uh, uh, sort of worked out and uh, a teacher a spiritual teacher that I found helped me uh, certainly Jim Finley from the CAC has been a spiritual teacher who's who speaks to me very deeply in terms of how he explains things. Mm. But more recently, um, listening to Rupert Spira and how he explains things has really helped to put it together for me. And that simple awareness that I am uh, is as simple as that and is as ordinary as that. But my simpleness, the simple awareness that I am and awareness of my being is the same as the I am that I am that Moses heard as God's name in the desert in Exodus chapter 3 and is the same I am that Jesus said before Abraham was I am. And when you connect those three dots, you realize that just your simple awareness of who you are is your divine spiritual self having a human experience. And you don't have to go and seek and search and read more books and go on more retreats and spiritual courses to get there because you cannot possibly work on and improve and get to who you already are and have always been. And that very simple switch, the penny dropping realization and awareness has just changed my whole approach to how I practice my 
my contemplative prayer and my practice of daily life, my spiritual practice of daily life. Mm. Yeah, um, that's beautiful, Francis. That's um, into the essence, into the core. And I'm wondering, you know, describing that, if you could bring us into a particular story or experience of of how you um, how you've come to that, just sort of. Uh, I am awareness in the midst of that everyday life, maybe with a patient or um, or a circumstance that 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 kind of illustrates that for us. Uh, all right. Well, this is something I've been practicing um, more recently, um, uh, and you know, a lot of my practice is, is patients coming to see me um, with lung problems <clears throat> and. Um, so there's this particular patient that you know I saw you know, a few weeks ago. His name is Tony, uh, and Tony is about 52, and he has chronic schizophrenia, and he's on antipsychotic medication to help that. And he smokes a lot. He smokes, uh, you know, 50 more or more cigarettes a day. And because of that, he's got bad lungs and bad airways, and he wheezes and he's short of breath. And he's also very overweight um, uh, and probably has bad sleep apnea, but we haven't actually done the test because we w- we're not sure what we can do about it. Anyway, Tony lives in a, um, in a sort of residential facility for, with other people with mental health problems, and he, uh, he comes to see me with his support worker, his carer. And, um, uh, you know, I ask, you know, how are you, Tony? And he says, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just short of breath, Doc, and I'm wheezy all the time. And, you know, I'm I'm using my puffers, but they don't help. And uh, uh, you have a look at him, and he's, uh, you know, looking a bit puffed out. You listen to his chest, he's wheezy. And then you just sit back and uh, look at him. And, you know, I've been practicing in that moment, being aware of my own awareness, the awareness that I am, and the awareness that's streaming out of my eyes, when I look into his eyes, it is the same awareness streaming out of his eyes, looking into my eyes. And when I just hold that awareness, there's just a realization that it is the same awareness and there's the same loving awareness. And in that moment, there's no me and there's no him. And there's just the one loving awareness. And yeah, it's not even me trying to love him Hmm. because if I tried to love him, I would fail and I would fail desperately. But in that holding that moment of just being aware of that one loving awareness. Uh, I'm not a person and he's not a person. There's only the divine presence that's there. Uh, And that's a glimpse that just holds that moment. And then when I come back to just trying to help what I can do, what I can do, I said, look, Tony, it's a, you know, I know it's hard, but you know, you you know, uh, you know, it's all the cigarettes that makes it very challenging um, to get things better. 
and he says, "Yeah, I know, Doc, but you know, I've 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 worked very hard on it, and I've gone down from 80 cigarettes a day to 50 cigarettes a day." Wow! And I said, "Wow, Tony, that's fantastic. I'm all, I'm in awe. That's a, such a great effort." And I said, "Look, Tony, do you think that um, we could go down to 40 cigarettes a day next time?" And he says, "Yeah." Yeah, I will, Doc. I'll try. I said, that's really good, Tony. You keep on taking your puffers, and we'll both work on getting down the cigarettes a bit more, and then we'll see how we go. He said, okay, Doc. Yeah, all right. I'll come back, and I'll get down to 40 cigarettes a day. Um, And that's it. That's the end of the consultation. Now, with all my knowledge of, you know, fancy drugs and whatever, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do anything with any of those drugs and telling him that, you know, it's lecturing him about smoking, et cetera. It's not going to help because, you know, he is struggling with what he's struggling. Uh, and all I can do is is to be present in that loving awareness in that moment. And maybe, you know, he picks it up and he senses it and he then gives him better motivation and effort to try to, move forward and work better at it. Now, I don't know whether Tony will be alive in three months' time when we next next make the appointment, and maybe it's not up to me, and I'm not trying to jump in there and save him, uh, but I'm just journeying with him in that moment of just being the I am that I am and knowing that it is the same I am in him. Um, with the brokenness of his mind and his body that he has to journey with. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Francis. I'm reminded of a of a phrase from Richard Rohr. Maybe he got it from someone else. But uh, when he talks about spiritual direction, uh, he uses the phrase, where you're at is where I'll meet you. And, um, you know, that in specific reference to spiritual direction, but at the same time, seeing that's what you did with your patient and that's what we can do in our life at any time, right. Is in that awareness and, and kind of the undercurrent uh, secret, if you will, sort of in a sense behind that is where you're at is where I'm at, right. That's that, that I am. And to meet a patient like that is that, that beautiful awareness like you've done and, and we can bring it everywhere, right? It doesn't have to be the seeking out, the yearning, like you said, going to a Teze gathering or going into a monastery, but but being that with our patients, with our family or work, cooking, whatever it might be, right? We can um, we can dwell in that I am presence. Do, did you find, like say in that instance or maybe in another one, is there is there like a moment of intention or is there sort of a thought beforehand of saying, I'm going to be present to the I am, right? Or does it just kind of arise um, in that moment for you? Or, or how does that sort of awareness, um, could we say, make itself known? <laughs> I mean, I think that um, that awareness is ever-present. It's present all the time. What what we lack is 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 our our awareness of that awareness <clears throat> yeah um and <clears throat> and it is a practice to be aware of that awareness um and 
most of the time our our activity and our, our doingness um, sort of um, covers up and veils this awareness. Um, but I think with sort of meditation practice and a daily practice, then you bring that awareness to the midst of your activity. And I think that that is where um, that that practice allows us to to bring it to to those situations. Hmm. Um, and the sort of what I'm working on at the moment is, you know, this being deeply grounded in imperturbable peace in the midst of activity, and the sort of non-dual realization that stillness and activity are not two. But they arise out of one another, and they're the one. Um, and the skill and the practice of being grounded in that at all times. And what I've been practicing is um, when I'm in the moment of stillness and presence, I'm just aware of my breath. And that breath then is my anchor to the depth of stillness that I can refer to at any time in the midst of activity. Yeah. That That is my, my connecting link. That I know that when I've been in the absolute stillness and presence, I'm aware of my breath and I'm aware that I'm not doing the breathing. I'm being breathed. And in the midst of activity, when I'm losing it, then I just connect to my breath, and that brings me to the presence. And it's effortless. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to get there because you can't get to who you already are. You can't get to be who you already are. You just have to let go mm-hmm. of all the crap that you've taken on in the meantime so that you can be who you already are yeah. and have always been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got a, um, maybe not the exact metaphor, but, um, the cred that you have that stop smoking the cigarettes and, and breathe the air, right. That's right. <laughs> As a respiratory doctor, it's the breath bringing you there. I love that. That's, there's a real synchronicity there. That's yeah. like, that's so beautiful. And, um, Francis, thank you for sharing everything that this, um, contemplative path that you're on this via negativa this this way of of um coming into that i am awareness um you know like i I said earlier we have all sorts of different mystical pathways ways of um coming into that uh that reality that divine union that i amness that um thing that we maybe can't even quite put the right words to um but uh, i just thank you for bringing forth how that's come for you and unfolded and your practices and the stories of that um, and feel really blessed by it and know that it will bless a lot of people listening so thank you so much uh just have a lot of gratitude and appreciation yeah thank you luke for the opportunity definitely great to talk with you francis all right great